Welcome to the Believe Fantasy Football Show. I am not Michael Fabiano. <laughs> Michael like Fabiano ever. Woohoo! <laughs> Bob Harris and Lindsay Rhodes here with you today while our buddy Fabs is on vacay, uh, a much deserved and well needed vacation for Michael Fabiano. And he's handed the keys to his show to us for the day. And I am hoping that he regrets that a little bit by the end of the day, Bob Harris. Obviously, he will. Uh, he'll miss out on all the fun we're about to have, and we are about to have a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Good to work with you every opportunity I get. I just uh, had my mind blown a little bit because, I mean, I know that you are a uh, fantasy football diehard, um, but I didn't realize the degree to which you were, I think. Um, we're um, My man, Bob Harris, is already deep into the best ball drafting weeds. How many drafts have you already done? <laughs> So I've completed one, but I'm go I'm in six ongoing right now, and uh, you know taking a backseat to my serious co-host Mike Dempsey, who is at over thirty already. So here's what happened: though. like the underdog oh. has underdog fantasy has a contest called the Big Board, and you get an eight hour. It's a nice draft, and so jumped right in there as soon as that opened the day after the Super. Well, day after the Super Bowl is when I jumped in. Then Best Ball Tens, another great site that uh, we like to play on, opened up earlier than usual too. So I jumped in and we did a couple there. We'll be starting probably two every week uh, over the course of the off season. So by the time the season starts, I'll be well into the triple digits in drafts. And and <laughs> I know, I know there are questions. I know people are. I know I hear the wheels turning out there. Why are you drafting in February? Here's why. Number one, being steeped in any topic is how you become super knowledgeable in it so when yep. the drafts roll around in august the drafts that matter most to me i'm not going to be you know so like the first mock draft i did i wanted to be super smart say oh, i'm going to get grab brock bowers like in round 11 right so two picks before my pick somebody picked brock bowers i'm sitting there and i'm like i'm flabbergasted i didn't think anyone would pick him so what happened i picked jerry judy i don't ever like you know me no player is off limits to me i will draft anybody ideally i will never draft jerry judy but in a moment of panic, I drafted Jerry Judy. I want to forestall those moments of panic over the course of the rest of the season. That's why you draft all season long. Yes, things are going to change, but there's value to be had here, right? There are going to be series of players that are that we have un, that there are uncertain futures of all the players heading into free agency, like the running backs. Derrick Henry, I don't know where he's going to play. Yeah. But but when he's going in the seventh round of a draft, I don't really care where he's going to play. I'm going to draft him there. So you start getting a feel for values. And, and over the course of the season, off season, as you adjust and we get more information, you watch how those things adjust. And by the time you hit August and the drafts that you that matter the most to you land, you feel so well versed in the topic. You know what players are going to be available, when they're going to be available, what players you love that you have to reach for a little bit. And like I've been shut out on Anthony Richardson. You know I'm like totally need me some Anthony Richardson. I am a hammer. Same. He is my nail. Yep. And and I've missed him like in every draft I've been in. And so there's going to come a point where I'm going to make that adjustment. And, you know, we can talk about that further, how you mitigate some of the risks when you're drafting this early. But but that's the whole idea behind it. Steeping yourself in a subject so that over the course of time, you become super comfortable uh, with it. You spend six months practicing so that you don't draft Jerry Judy in a moment of panic in yeah. that best ball draft in August. That's what I took away from that whole answer is don't True. draft Jerry Judy. And uh, let's, let's work well, really hard. To find right way not to do that. Everybody at the right price. 
Well, I had a lot of uh, like headlines and things that are in the news this week that I wanted to talk to you about. And now this gives us a totally different jumping off point. We can take those into your best ball drafts and where you're finding these people and uh, where Anthony Richardson is going because he's back on the field, uh, throwing again, cleared to do so. We love seeing that video out there on social media. And I am a big fan of Anthony Richardson and we'll be uh, trying to target him in fantasy drafts. Um, come the fall also. So I'd love to get your take on that and who you're also pairing him with. Uh, first, though, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year with up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends. You can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. You can head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use the promo code believe for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online the game starts here speaking of betting did you see that we have a new favorite a new betting favorite for uh Justin Fields landing spot uh it is now the Falcons it was the Steelers and the Falcons are uh, minus 130 at this point in time. The Steelers plus 350. Patriots plus 700. He's been in the news a lot this week. Justin Fields having gone on the St. Brown Brothers podcast uh, by the 33rd team to discuss why he unfollowed the Bears on social media. Uh, gave us a really interesting quote about um, messing with girls that you don't follow on Instagram and... Uh, how that whole world works, Bob. I know you're really familiar with, you know, what he was talking about there. Well, I so I, I think the one thing that, that like, I, I I get it right. He's he's. I almost think this is believable. He's fixing to go on vacation, and he doesn't want all the chatter in his feet, right? Like the Bears, the NFL. He has said he unfollowed the NFL as well, and so everything he sees, like if he's his if his feed looks like my feed, and I'm not him. My yeah. feed is Williams or Fields. And I mean, if you really want to get away and unplug, you really need to see that rolling through your IG uh, every minute of every day. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, or just don't go on it. Right. But, but I, I, I get it on Instagram. I was, it's easier to do that on Twitter, like turn off Twitter. Cause I was thinking, how do you even, what, what else are you getting on your, like a, on a Twitter feed? But, but again, we're not talking about Twitter we're talking about Instagram. So that does make sense. If he doesn't want to see that kind of stuff with the girls there and not have to worry about the bears and Caleb Williams. There you go. There you go. Uh, okay. So where would you like him to go? Uh, I think Atlanta would be perfectly suitable for me. I would not be averse to having him go to Pittsburgh. I think whoever gets him is going to want him. I think he'll come at a reasonable price. And I think anytime from a fantasy perspective, we've seen what his mobility means to us as fantasy managers. It raises that floor quite a bit. So I think any of those destinations are fine. Um, <clears throat> am I sure he's is an accomplished passer as I'd like to see? I don't know. Uh, but he was really serviceable last year. Ask DJ Moore, who, by the way, DJ Moore, break out your quarterback proof cards, people. Uh, and and I think people are going to be worried about DJ Moore. Like, oh, he was really good with fields. And he was. He averaged a nice total uh, in the games. The 12 games with fields, the point production was there. All his touchdowns came. Uh, and, and it was phenomenal. But don't forget what DJ Moore had done prior to that over the course of time, four seasons or five seasons, four seasons in in uh, in Carolina playing with like late career Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker, who am I leaving out? Teddy Bridgewater. 
I mean, the whole series of less than ideal quarterbacks. And this is something we should be mindful of when and we're drafting wide receivers. And coaches, not just right. quarterbacks. I have to do that. Sure. I'm like, I'm I'm contractually obligated to say that uh, when I'm following any kind of Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, it's like an asterisk that's attached there. Like he's never had a coach. He's never had an offense. Like let's chill out on, you know, but, but, but thinking about thinking about him, thinking about Justin Fields in that Rams style offense as, you know, Zach Robinson coming in as Raheem Morris's uh, offensive coordinator, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the success they had in the Rams, especially, you know, with a talented young running back and Kyron Williams, a talented young receiver and Puka Nakua, uh, and you see that, you know, you, you, you kind of start drawing parallels to the players currently in Atlanta, B. John Robinson, who said today he wants to get 2000 yards. Okay. I want a lot of things too. Us I hope too. I get them. <laughs> we, we want, want that things. for you and the workload, but that's the, the comparison for me, you know, and if you have, I mean, what was, I mean, Arthur Smith clearly was a, was an obstacle to success. I mean, what? usage, usage, uh, like, uh, I'm of two minds of Arthur Smith. I do think he's an innovative offensive mind. I cannot, I think he out innovated himself last year by not using these super high end pieces. Look, you've got first round picks at tight end, a wide receiver and running back, uh, generational talent at running back. And the usage was hard to understand. Right. And so, uh, you know, I mean, whatever the, the reasons were, I, I suspect it will change. And if we see the kind of use, B. John Robinson get the kind of usage that Kyron Williams got, especially late last season when he was averaging about 25 opportunities a game down the stretch in the weeks that mattered the most to us weeks 13 through 17. If we see Bijan Robinson getting that kind of workload at that point in time, or if we see Drake London getting the kind of utilization we saw a guy like Puka Nakua get or Cooper cup, right? Granted they're, they're playing different spots, but Drake London is a very talented player. Put him in with a reasonable facsimile of a quarterback. And I think we saw Justin Fields working with DJ Moore be more than that in addition to adding the mobility, I think there's a lot to like there. And who knows? Kyle Pitts may be used as more than a run blocker, although oh, he my apparently God. does that very good. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is – I mean, and this is this is a this is a whole other conversation that I want to have with you about Brock, Brock Bowers because I keep thinking there's all of this conversation about Brock Bowers that's taking place this week. And, and a <clears> quote <throat> from Daniel Jeremiah that got passed around social media that is a really smart explanation about positional value and surplus value and how this factors into drafting a tight end um, particularly high because you're not really getting um, – a a cost break that you would be getting if you drafted a different position that is more expensive, a wide receiver, offensive tackle edge. I mean, for sure. Quarterback. Yeah. But, uh, but then there's also uh, that, that narrative transposed with the uh, quote that made its way around uh, from the Falcons um, and their tight end coach, Kevin Kroger, um, talking about how uh, they really like Kyle Pitts' run blocking ability, but with him and the way we're going to run the ball and the athleticism he does have, there are a lot of things he can do to help us in the run game. Which I was like, "What are we even talking about here? This is this is where we are with Kyle Pitts." Which is also, uh, I mean, I have a bunch of follow up questions with regards to Brock Bowers, but just it, like we we don't have to go back that far. Kyle Pitts a few years to the last time that we were talking about a unicorn at the, at the tight end position, one that never turned into that unicorn. And for whatever reason, now a second coaching staff is looking at him and thinking run blocking. 
Right. And, and, and our, you know, like hopefully that's not all they're thinking. They're thinking of the other things and they're, you know, the underlying numbers have always been there for Pitts. The production is not, he's still a very young man, not ready to give up on him. Falcons should not give up on him either, but he's essentially been more a wide receiver than a tight end, right? Or at least used in, you know, working out of the slots, but not right. wide, not an inline kind of guy. Maybe that's what he needs. Maybe a little inline work would help him out a little bit, and maybe they could scheme him up a little better. Um, I don't know. Positional versatility is not, you know, not what I'm looking for when I'm discussing Kyle Pitts. But also, if you're out there drafting right now, out in those best ball mean streets with Bob Harris, um, Kyle Pitts is like tight end 11. Right. So, I mean, is that appealing to you? Yeah. That's even appealing at to me. that. Yeah. In best ball for sure. And if you're, if the listeners and viewers out there aren't familiar with best ball, it's essentially yours. It's a set of forget it. You draft your team and your lineups are set for you each week based on the production of the players. So your best possible lineup is fielded automatically based on scoring. So if you think there might be weeks, there are players who are well suited for best ball up to this point in his career, Kyle Pitts has not been because he doesn't have those huge spike games. Uh, but thinking with a new offense, a different quarterback, uh, a new outlook that he could be, I think tight end 11 is pretty fair value for him. You know, you look at the range of players going at the same time. I mean, it's pretty unappealing at tight end after you get past those first four or five guys anyway. So, uh, you know, you're kind of taking your chances. I think taking your chances on a super athletic guy with his level of talent. And also some of the, uh, again, I keep saying, you know, the underlying numbers, if you look, talk to the math nerds, they love it, right? Uh, Pitts ranked second among tight ends with a minimum of 50 targets and yards per reception last year. He was third in slot rate. Hopefully they continue to use that. That's a great spot for him. 10th in total routes run, despite playing in the 31st ranked offense and neutral pass rate. So, I mean, you know, there's reasons for optimism. I can sit here and, and twist the stats into anything, but he's got to do the production on the field. And so, so far those underlying stats, which have been impressive as all the analytics people will tell you, um, they haven't ended up being super productive. So you, but the, the good news is you're not paying for product productivity right now. You're playing right. for a guy that's going to have, that's going to be on the field an awful lot. I'm hoping. And th at that price range, I think people are going to be buying into guys like David and Joku and forget that all his value came or the bulk of his production came with, with Joe Flacco, at quarterback, and not so much with Deshaun Watson and that Joe Flacco is not coming back. People Deshaun Watson is so, uh, you know, there's going to be tight ends that are going ahead that maybe shouldn't. And so I'm willing to wait. If I'm waiting on tight end or if I'm looking at a second tight end, he might be uh Pitts might be a target. Yes. He's available that late. So you can, you can, you have those, uh, you have those options. Uh, where is Brock Bowers going in these best ball drafts? A little bit later. I mean, not too late, like later 10th, than that, like around me, I think he's going right about the same time, kind of in the same range around the 10th round. Uh, I think people are thinking back to where they saw Sam Laporta being drafted last year aggressively by people as the draft neared. He might be, may, might have made it up to round 10. So here's the funny thing about these early, super early drafts is we had come away from the season with all these lessons fresh in our mind. And we're saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to dial back on quarterback. The rookie tight end is going to move up, all those things. But as the draft, the real drafts draw closer, we – go back into our defensive positions and go back to the way that we drafted, the, you know, in, in 1986, I need four running backs on that, you know? So, so I, it's funny how the, the, the drafts tend to evolve over the course of the season. So maybe people will dial back a little bit, but I think a Bowers, the hype is going to be enough. And as long as people don't look at pictures of him next to Gronk, they're going to be very impressed with him. He's, he's an interesting one because of, uh, 
the the conversation surrounding his you know draft value and surplus value and i think that there's a lot to that to be honest with you but i think you could also argue that the tight end it could be like a cheat code here because if you get one who operates like a wide receiver and that's the way we're discussing brock bowers right i mean he's obviously a, a strong run blocker too but like he is somebody that you're going to utilize a lot in the passing game then you're getting a massive discount um, not just on his contract, but when you re-sign him at a tight end salary um, and not a wide receiver salary, right? right? So so I think that that's the part of the argument that that gets um, a little bit lost in there. and uh, and and I and I am positive that he's going to go very high in this draft because uh, even though there are going to be teams that adhere to surplus value and really want to max that, uh, there are definitely going to be teams who throw that out the window, like the Lions did last year two times in the first round, drafting a running back and a linebacker and just put their build together and said, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff be damned. And so Brock Bowers is going to go early. The question is, where is he going to go? Uh, do you have a favorite landing spot for him where you okay, you like him to the Chargers? I mean, like logic, you know, the, I mean, I think there's a lot of people are going to go assume that's the case. I know Daniel Jeremiah in his mock draft today came out has him at going to the Bengals at 17 I wouldn't be averse to that either that would be perfectly fine yeah but would we like that as much in fantasy um maybe it depends on what happens with T Higgins I think you know let's assume that they tag him because I think that that's where this is headed maybe Tyler Boyd goes elsewhere and so you're looking for a new number three and this opens up maybe that path but it's a lot more it's a lot of mouths to feed but right, if, you in Cincinnati. At, if you look at what the combination of guys they had, just guys, Tanner Hudson and that crew, uh, you know, I mean, they were fairly busy at times last year. Granted, it was not with Joe Burrow. So, I, you know, I don't want to overstate the case, but I think in that offense, I'd be interested in seeing playing with whoever's playing with Joe Burrow and have some degree of interest in. And, and you mentioned it, if Tyler Boyd's gone, how much will we see, you know, Brock Bowers working out of the slot? as opposed to in line. And, and you're right. He is a very good blocker. He's going to be on the field full. He's going to be a full-time player, right? So whether they split him out some, play him in line some, I do think that there's a, a path for success if it was Cincinnati. I think we're all projecting the the Chargers because there's a good quarterback. There's a needed tight end. And we think back to San Francisco. Oh, yeah, Vernon Davis was very successful with, with Jim Harbaugh there, you know, even though they weren't like a pass-heavy team. I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of concerns. You know, I'm seeing Justin Herbert slide down, you know, not incredibly low, but lower than he would go otherwise. Yeah. Based on the fact that Greg Roman turned up and Jim Harbaugh and everyone goes back to the San Francisco offense, which it was run heavy, right? But but they're they did pass the ball, and Alex Smith had some of his best, you know, best seasons, you know, at least most efficient seasons. And that's the thing you're going to hope for is efficiency for Justin Herbert, but also you're going to hope for Jim Harbaugh being smart enough to know what side his bread is buttered on. You just paid the franchise quarterback. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll figure out a way to use them, Greg Roman notwithstanding. Yeah, I mean, and part of that, I would imagine the ADP for Justin Herbert is now we've had two years where he's established right. a pretty low floor. Yeah. So there are a bunch of different reasons that you might want to kind of uh, draft him with caution or more caution than we have in the last couple of years, I think. Uh, but uh, to the point, 
about Brock Bowers and pairing him with him. And then there's been a lot of talk about maybe Jim Harbaugh going and drafting Blake Corum in the second round and yeah. really, really wanting to focus on that running back, which obviously is something that he did in college and has done in his history in the NFL. Those offenses have been a lot more run heavy. Um, it's like we're going backwards with Justin Herbert because just a couple of years ago, in fact, just last year, we were talking about last offseason, the fact that uh, getting his dot up, right? Because his dot was always historically and low. And this is a guy who can push the ball downfield and do that for <clears throat> crying out loud. And then we finally kind of uh, went into a year where that was at least the attempt, but they can't stay healthy. So they we'll may, see what they're... They may do more of that though as well here, like just more deep shots and trying to be more, you know, more efficient with the passing game. And they, if they keep all the pieces, we'll see if they keep Kellen, Keenan, Keenan Allen. We'll see where Mike Williams is at. We'll see if Clinton Johnston can figure out how to catch football. So that would be a great thing for him. Are you optimistic that, that that's, are you still uh, thinking I might be in on that? Or I'm, are you thinking I'm that was quit. just a swing and a miss as a draft pick? Uh, I think it was a swing and a miss right now. I mean, you know, players can improve and coaching can help them along. I can, I'm old enough to remember Josh Allen couldn't hit the broad side of a barn when he was drafted. Now he can, he can hit the backside of a shoulder from great distance super effectively. So, uh, so yes, players can improve. I mean, we see it all the time. So I'm, I'm hoping they coach him up, but like my default position is nah. Um, and, and we'll see, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they'll foreshadow a little bit of with their decisions, uh, uh, with Keenan Allen. I mean, they owe him a fair amount of money. He still looks, I mean, last year, the games he played through weeks, 12, what was he wide receiver two? Uh, and by the way, in best balls right now, just due to this uncertainty, uh, I mentioned Justin Herbert, you're looking at him being quarterback 11 right now. Uh, Keenan Allen's going down in the fifth, sixth round. You can get him. Cool. Um, yes, and I, please. and I have a number of shares of him. Like I'm hoping that he stays in place, but it is going to be a new scheme. Not the same scheme that made him super effective. It will be in, if he went somewhere else, I would have concerns, but still at that price, it's hard for me to uh, look away from a player who is still very capable. Who else is, uh, who else are you able to get on a discount right now in best ball drafts? Uh, a lot of running backs, Derek Henry, seventh, eighth round, sixth, seventh, eighth, right in there. Like, I don't know where he's going to play. I don't know right. that I care where he's going to play. A lot of talk about Baltimore. I don't know if their money is going to work out for them. Dallas, the Chargers. I mean, you know, there's plenty of teams out there that could use a powerful running back who, to me, eyeball test-wise, and like, I get it. He's gotten to, to a certain point in age where people are going to be worried about him falling off a cliff. I am not. Just watching him last year, I mm -hmm. thought he was super effective, playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in football in Tennessee, by the way. Uh, so put him in a different situation. I could see him making great hay. So play he's he's going way lower. Some of the players that are more surprising are the players that are going high or higher. By the way, Stefan Diggs. I mean, it's not unusual to see him go in the fourth round. I have seen him as late as the fifth round. Um, you know, it's entirely possible, people, that last year's nine-game stretch of horribleness turns out to be a tiny blip on the career radar of Stefan Diggs, who plays again with a really good quarterback who can hit the backside of the shoulder from great distances I'm told. So, um so like I'm like I'm looking for some values like that. Basically any player who was a huge disappointment this past year, you're going to get at a reasonable value especially while it's fresh in people's mind. But some of the players who are going high like Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean he doesn't always make it out of the second round. I feel like that's way aggressive. I mean, I get it. Players come in pro ready, but I mean, uh, there's uh, some people who are, who will argue Malik neighbors is the better, is the better rookie. Right. I mean, it's not, un, you know, it's not unheard of for people to think that maybe he's the player to have. So we'll see. I don't know if, uh, if Marvin Harrison jr. Going to the Cardinals, you know, if expected or the Patriots as the, some of the later mock drafts 
God, why would they do that? I don't know. But yeah, anyway, but like if he is playing with Kyler Murray in that offense that I thought Kyler Murray jumped into for a guy who played in an air raid his entire life and, you know, come into a totally different offense. Obviously, he was sitting there watching, studying in all the meetings and and doing all the things that he should have been doing. I thought he looked pretty darn good. So you think with Trey McBride there, we'll see if they keep Marquise Brown. Uh, he is an unrestricted free agent. I don't know that they'll keep him, but if you had all those pieces, that'd be a pretty potent passing attack to me. So, uh, but second round, I'm I'm not going to have many shares of Marvin Harrison Jr. if he's going to the second round. You, I, I, I kind of tend to think that the 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 high end wide receivers in this year's draft are probably guys that I that I do want a piece of. And I'm not sure exactly where the tipping point is, like where is too early. But the the one thing that does scare me is that some of like the giants, right? Like uh, at this point, if you're doing a best ball draft and you're taking one of those wide receivers, I don't think that Marvin Harrison has any chance of landing uh, six to the giants, but certainly Rome Odunze and Malik neighbors do. Um, it could shake up in a way where either one of those two guys goes six to the giants. And I don't know how excited I am about. Uh, Unless Jaden Daniels goes six and then they make a trade and get one of those other guys potentially, I suppose. Oh. But I guess what I'm saying is in the range of outcomes, if I'm doing a best ball draft right now, those wide receivers are potentially landing at six. And I don't know what the quarterback is. Yeah. There. But, but by the way, so the current ADP is on underdog or which is best ball tens is so early on. They don't have ADP data yet. So we're just getting started there, but on the, on underdog, they beat have enough the ADP beat the ADP and that's not unusual for me. Roma Dunze is the the third of those guys going off. He's his ADP is 55. So you're getting him in what the fifth round, sixth round range kind of territory. He's wide receiver 33. Uh, Malik neighbors is going off in the uh, what, fourth round, third round. So third round 34.9. He is wide receiver 23. Marvin Harrison jr. Is a wide receiver 11 going off in the end of the second round or the second half of the second round, 18th pick overall. Uh, I want to go back to Anthony Richardson uh, mm. there because you brought up the fact that you've been trying to get him and you've been unable to get him so far. He's coming off the board before you can uh, pull the trigger. Where is that? So to qualify this, I'm playing with a bunch of people who are in the industry for the most part or well-versed in this. We all love Anthony. Say, right. Everyone loves Anthony Richardson. So you're seeing him going ahead of CJ Strauss, not unusual. It's not like totally the what you see every time. So generally the early best ball ADP right now at underdog is Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, then Stroud and Richardson. I'm seeing Richardson go like a round earlier, like every draft. So I thought the first draft I was in, I would get him in around seven. I did not get him in round seven. He went to tail at, you know, at the turn of round six. Then I thought, Oh, I'm going to jump up to round six. He went at the tail end of round five at the turn there. So, I mean, you know, it's just, he's been moving up consistently. I think that has more to do with the rooms I'm in. And as I go over the course of the season, I'll have way more shares of them, but expecting him to settle in and around the fifth round seems like about right as quarterback five or six. And then you just make the adjustment, right? I mean, I get it. He's a gamble people. We have not seen a lot of him. He was hurt and maybe he gets hurt again. I'm going to go ahead and get back on my uh, soapbox teams. Find ways to help your quarterbacks learn to absorb punishment. It worked for Miami with Tua Tagovailoa last year. Uh, Jiu-jitsu, fighting lessons. There are people who get punched in the head for a living 
who are able to continue doing that over the course of time on a regular basis because they understand absorbing punishment. Teach your quarterbacks how to fall, how to take hits, how to take punishment, especially quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson, who looks to be a much better passer than he was expected to be coming in. The Colts saw it. They'll tell you, if you listen to what Chris Ballard has said about him, they saw it. If you listen to my friend Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, this time last year was telling everyone, you're all missing the boat on yeah. Richardson. He is he a better passer than you think. And in part of it is just the processing and learning the language. I think the Colts have the perfect co coach for him. And then if it all falls apart, you're getting quarterbacks in rounds 10 and beyond that I'm perfectly comfortable playing. Their names are Jared Goff. Their names are Matthew Stafford. Their names are Aaron Rodgers. Their name is Kirk Cousins. Jordan all these Love. Jordan Love. He's yeah. going, he's, he's starting to edge up a little bit, but still in that same range, all these players are perfectly serviceable. Kirk Cousins, all he was was quarterback four through the eight games he played last year. And assuming he ends up back in Minnesota, playing with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison would serve him quite well. If he ends up in Atlanta, I'm going to be fine with that as well. So there are plenty of quarterbacks available. Like, like if you just totally miss out, you know, like I know this doesn't sound appealing, but Derek Carr is a, is a solid starter no. with job security. Easy, no, Lindsay. Let me state my case. Uh, okay. Good supporting cast, new offensive coordinator in Clint Kubiak. Uh, and but job security, they're about they're gonna have to re-sign him to a deal that's gonna keep him in there for the next two years. They've got to figure some things out to make him work. There were stretches last year where he was super productive. That's true. I'm saying as your second quarterback, if you wait until the very end, you don't have to wait till the very end. You can go earlier. Matthew Stafford's going is like quarterback, what 12, 13, 14 in that range. Perfectly this is fine as backup. This is definitely, I mean, and uh, Fabs and I have talked about this a little bit too, about this is wait on your quarterback. Like we're back to that, right? Yeah. Like last year, uh, I know that there was a, well, both of us, I, I don't know how you felt about that, but Fabs and I were like, go get a quarterback early. Cause you know, yeah. the consistency 20 points a week, uh, that's, that's something that can carry you to the finish line. And there were like a handful of people that you could count on to do that. As it turned out, we couldn't count on them to do that. Right. Like there was Josh Allen that we could count on to do that consistently. And that was about it. So I think that, uh, all of the names that you just mentioned are a really strong argument <clears throat> to just wait on your quarterback this sure. year. That's like, you know, priority number one in terms of draft strategy for me. And having missed on Richardson, all those drafts, that's what I end up doing. I'm waiting yeah. as long as I can. I did a super flex draft last night where I missed out on Richardson by one pick. I had the 112, 112. All of this said, and then I'm going to be the dummy who's like, but Josh is there in the third round and God, but that's, so I think that's reasonable. I'm going to take him. Look, I think, I think third round, like, so last year, last couple of years, we saw those guys sneaking almost into the, the early, the tail end of the first round. It's not on you. It was not totally unusual. Mm -hmm. I think now you're going to see uh, whether it's Josh Allen hurts is still going to be right there. Lamar Jackson has moved ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Those three going in that third, fourth round range is, is where you're seeing them go. Then after that, look, some people are still in on Mahomes and they're trying to buy a dip a little bit. So they're not letting it dip too far. Uh, but after that, like I've always felt like every year there's uh, when I get to a point where I don't love a skill position player at any position, there's a quarterback waiting for me there. I'm probably dialed back on that a little bit and I'm biting the bullet and I may be taking some skill players that I don't love, but I know that's only because I'm going to get a quarterback that I totally love way late. And so that kind of, that kind of 
informs your decision making. And maybe some of that will change and will evolve over the course of the offseason. But for right now, I'm with you. Everyone's going to be dialed back on quarterbacks. Okay, so I just want to follow up on the Anthony Richardson thing for just a second with a couple of other names. Because if we're very high on Anthony Richardson, and I'm with you, then uh, where should we expect Caleb Williams to go, who is also a, a quarterback who is um, going to run the ball a lot and have some degree of success at doing that. So you're getting that dual threat quarterback there, but you do have the rookie question mark attached to it. We don't know what offense he's going into. We don't know, you know, what it's going to look like in terms of his transition to the NFL. Um, But to a degree, the same can be said for Anthony Richardson. We just saw a couple of, you know, uh, of peaks there in terms of his fantasy value. And that's enough for us to feel really comfortable. Um, I I think that, I mean, they're different quarterbacks for sure, but in terms of that versatility, which is that's where you want to take a risk on a rookie quarterback for the most part, right. Is the one who has the rushing ability. I think Jaden Daniels is more that guy than probably Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is a way better passer. He's going ahead. And and I don't know. I I don't know that Jaden Daniels is going to be a starter year one, right? Like, I mean, it would be ideal that he wouldn't, but probably he will be forced to be. So Caleb Williams, though, is for a for sure starter. He's right now in early underdogs going off as quarterback 16. You're going to have to get him in like round nine, uh, not making it into making it right up to round 10, but not in the double digit round. So the handful of guys available right after him include Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, all those players. I'm probably going to be more comfortable. Yeah. Like I know CJ Stroud was great. It was going to be fantastic. I think Anthony Richardson is a lottery ticket. Turns out not every lottery ticket you buy is a winner, right? But I'm willing to take that chance based on the upside with him. But I don't know that I would take that chance. Uh, I mean, Caleb Williams is the right price. I don't know that I need to press that right there with the players who are available, whether it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Maybe I'd rather have him than Deshaun Watson, who's going off as quarterback 23. Baker Mayfield, 24. Geno Smith, 25. Daniel Jones, maybe that's where the line is. The Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, Will Levis line. Is that it? Is that where we're at? I mean, that's quite a line right there. That's, right. That is, that's something. I don't but but at that point, you're probably drafting Caleb Williams as your second quarterback, and you know, or you're drafting him and then drafting one of those other guys right after him. Something I do a lot is you get into close to that ninth, tenth round, you see a guy maybe with a little bit of potential. So maybe Caleb Williams is that guy. Then I'll just come around the next round and grab one of those others. We call them steady eddies, one of the guys that you feel like is super competent, maybe super high end competent in Matthew Stafford's case or Jared Goff's case in great offenses or in Aaron Rodgers' place in a good spot if he can stay healthy. So I think there, you know, there's an easy way to, 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 to figure out ways to add Caleb Williams if you have the feeling that he's going to be this generational talent and come in and put up C.J. Stroud-like numbers. I might be biased from having watched him play when he was at USC so frequently, but I mean, I, I, I think he is. I think he is. I think he's going to come in and I think he's going to have tons of success, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily mean that his team is going to. Right. I think he's going I think he's going to um, pay off our expectations for him. You know, so, like it, it always matters. It always matters. And I don't care how good the quarterback is. It matters what you put around him. It matters what type of coach sure. you have. If you do what the Bears have done for the last few years with Justin Fields and not particularly uh, tailored your offense to his skill set. I don't think Caleb is that guy. I'm not saying that. Like, it's not a specific. He can do all of the different things. You're what, not. What he's if, he's not if, backing you into a corner. But I think he's a special talent. What if Washington moves up with Cliff there? Obviously, the connection to Kingsbury. And we see this. This is a historic thing. Cliff Kingsbury goes places, and quarterbacks who he wants to be connected to come 
play with him. So is that a foreshadowing? And would that be like, I don't He's know. I don't, one. He's I don't know. Well, they would have to trade up to get him, but I don't know that I want to see, uh, you know, Terry McLaurin lined up in the same spot every time and nobody going in motion in Washington and the old, the old Kingsbury issues, even with a generational talent, at quarterback, it tends to wear thin over time. So we'll have to see. I mean, I'm not against drafting that guy, knowing the other pieces that are available there. Also, I don't know that I see the upside until I see the landing spot. And also going to acknowledge right here, uh, as I often do, I'm not a draft Nick. That's an entire job all unto itself. I'm watching 100%. NFL during the during the football season. So I'm not up to speed or as well versed in these players as the draft Knicks are. So over the course of time, I'm going to learn more about Caleb Williams and figure out how great he might be. And maybe I change course on this and totally have a different opinion. If I do, those other quarterbacks, they're waiting to embrace me uh, if I draft him a little bit early and I want to feel comfortable with the backup. Yeah, I like you. Not a draft, Nick. Uh, I'm just a Trojan fan. And so I've seen Caleb Williams play a lot enough to know that there are so many situations where you are watching the play and you're like, the play is dead. And then it's not dead. And then it's a first down. And it's like a 40-yard you know, play downfield. And he picked up a first hmm. down and the chains are moving and he manages to get out of all sorts of trouble and uh, just makes magic for the offense. So I have a lot of faith in in his ability to um, transfer his skills to the NFL. I think he's a really special talent. And it's interesting that we're seeing people so like, <laughs> I mean, and we're seeing, we're seeing people say that like, he's the best prospect to come out right since Andrew Luck, which yeah. doesn't mean that they think he's going to be better than Joe Burrow. It's literally just coming out what we knew about all of these people at the time that they came out. Uh, there are a number of people that have said that he's the best prospect um, since Andrew Luck, which is quite a statement. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what that does from a fantasy standpoint. And we will have uh, the next few months, uh, six, in fact, to uh, draft some of these guys in best ball drafts before we have to do it for real in August uh, with our teams. And we're going to spend the next few months here going over uh, where they end up going in the in the uh, draft, where they uh, these free agents land. And of course, all of the, the deck will get reshuffled regularly. Bob Harris, uh, before we say goodbye and uh, hand the show back to Michael Fabiano when he returns next week, uh, give me something to believe in, Bob Harris. Mm, believe in drafting early, people. Go out, set yourself up an account at Underdog, Best Ball 10s, wherever you like to apply your trade. Start drafting. You're going to find some bargains in there. You're going to make some mistakes. There are going to be players that you draft that end up not even playing. That's part of the fun. It's part of the learning process. Get yourself steeped in the topic. And then when your drafts show up in August, you will feel like the master of your universe. My something to believe in is going to be uh, those rookie prospects that go to really good landing spots go ahead and believe in them in your fantasy drafts. I think we sure. talked a lot about last year with the rookie tight end class being very, very good. And there was some hesitation because rookie tight ends in fantasy football traditionally had not had a lot of success. I said at the time, and I believe now that that had more to do with the fact that we just haven't used tight ends as frequently in offenses. The offenses in the NFL have changed in the last handful of years and certainly in the last couple of decades, right? We've seen the tight end position change from one that is primarily blocking to one that is uh, both to one that is a 
massive weapon in the offense. You see guys like Travis Kelsey, who are the number one pass catching offense uh, options in their in their offenses. And I think what we're seeing is guys who are coming out, um, who are ready to step into that role. I don't think it's necessarily a role that takes a while to learn, which is one of the things that I think people thought for a long time. Like offensive line is one that maybe takes a beat. You know, you're not your best self in your rookie season. I think we've seen evidence last year, and I think it will continue that uh, people will transition to the NFL quickly and their skills will translate. And uh, Brock Bowers is who I'm talking about here. If he goes to the right spot, and he will because he's going to go to a team that uh, desperately prioritizes him enough to take him early in the first round. Go ahead and and use that draft pick on him, and expect them to throw the ball to him and for him to have a lot of success. A la Sam Laporta, who is probably going to be tied in one he this is. year, coming off the board. Totally. Instead of Travis Kelsey, can you believe it? All right, this has been the Believe Fantasy Football Show with Lindsey Rhodes and Bob Harris at Football Diehard is Bob's handle on Twitter. I'm Lindsey underscore Rhodes. At Michael underscore Fabiano will be back with us again next week. Thanks for listening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.